Danny. And this is episode 52 of Fried Squirms. Yeah, we're back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is also literally, I mean, you guys won't hear it until like a week later, but we're recording this on the 1st, so like this is the first thing we're pretty much doing for 2018. Yeah, this is a fresh start for 2018, and I'm excited with the episode we have in store. We are finally getting around to doing a fucking Universal Monster. Yeah, we talked about it for a while, but this is our first one. You know, this is almost fitting because, as we pointed out, if we were truly a weekly podcast, this would be our year. And since we didn't get into it before, we're starting this nice fresh year with kind of an O-Ridge, kind of an OG. Yeah, it is. I almost feel like we're cheating a little bit because we're still not diving that far back. You know, the horror universe goes way back. Right, but, I mean, maybe this is better pointed out later on in one of the other sections, but as far as uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon goes, he was the latest of all the classic universal monsters. You have, like, Dracula, I mean, Bela Lugosi Dracula exactly. in, like, 31. This was, what, 50... 54? Yeah. So <laughs> there's a little bit of a gap in between. A little bit of a gap. We're cheating a little bit. We're giving you the most recent of the classics. Even before this episode started, we were talking about going back to the silent film era. So, Yeah, I mean, we're eventually going to work our way further back than that. But I think this is still a good kind of getting our feet wet uh, in the Universal Monsters. Right? So yeah, I think this is a good entry for us. I mean, also in the vein of the fact that 52, New 52... Kind of a new year, new start. Yeah. So if you're new to Fried Squirms, we're here to talk about horror movies. And the first thing we're going to do is go into a spoiler-free section, tell you what all went into this movie. It's going to be our guts and bolts. Yeah, so join us for the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. You know what time it is. Ah, uh, yeah, some guts and bolts. All right, so what we already mentioned, 54. This is an old-ass movie. Yeah, this is a year <laughs> after my father was born, so I was thinking that's... We're talking 60-plus years ago. Let's see. Guts and bolts. What should we say? Oh, let's give a synopsis first, I guess. Yeah, we like to at least give you an idea of what we're talking about. A archaeologist comes across a find and brings in an another expedition one. team an expedition team to sort of help him figure out what's going on and where the rest of this fossil could be while they come across a living version of that fossil, basically. Yeah, and the setting is the Amazon. Which does not look like the Amazon because <laughs> it's 54. <laughs> exactly. So it's a fun film. I think it's a good brief synopsis of what this film's about. And I guess yeah. from the creature's point of view, you could also give a synopsis of a bunch of people show up with a hot foxy chick, and they all are trying to cock block. Yeah, he's like, hey, you can't be bringing people like that in my lagoon and hoard it to yourself. Right, because that's also kind of what this movie's about. <laughs> yeah, in a weird way it is, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's funny. But yeah, th this is a fun film. I'm like, so I'm glad we're doing it. It's our 52nd entry that you had mentioned earlier. So that's our brief synopsis. I think maybe we should talk about some of the people behind the scenes. Yeah, and I mean, just the fact... This is our first Universal Monster. Yeah. I mean, as far as what horror cinema is founded upon, in a lot of ways, that it is Universal Monsters. I mean, obviously there's been all sorts of horror movies. Even Universal themselves were churning out a lot of horror movies from this time period that uh, some are still 
kind of famous in their own right, but it's not this infrastructure that the popularity of these things, the all these creatures, fucking Wolfman, Gillman, yeah. here and creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, the mummy. The mummy, all created. Yeah. And maybe another reason it's important in cinema, I don't know if there's any examples before, like in the silent film era, that would predate this. But maybe the first shared universe? Hmm. I'm not positive. Maybe there's some sci-fi examples or something. But, I mean, now we're kind of used to, like, we have all the fucking Marvel movies, right? Like Exactly. Everything's its own little thing. The Thor movies are its own little thing. Captain America movies are, the, are their own little thing. But every few years, they come together, and they all cross over it like the Avengers. Right. Well, you had these motherfuckers... Like Frankenstein meets Wolfman. They did. They had a lot of those crossovers. Or all these assholes crossing over with Abbott and Costello. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they did play a lot of kind of satire on these films, comedic roles, and they made light of it. But it was interesting, too. Like you said, you had the crossovers, and it was common for all these monsters. I just think that's kind of interesting, especially with where cinema is right now. And something else that I'll bring up later on, but I kind of want to get to that at the very end. No, so. that's fun. But no, this is a a cool segue into our director for this film. I guess we can talk about this gentleman is uh, Jack Arnold. He did some interesting films, a lot of sci-fi slash horror film. Things like It Came From Outer Space, the film Tarantula, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Oh shit, I don't think I realize this guy did Tarantula. Tarantula is great. Unless you're interactophobic. Yeah, if if you don't like spiders, then you're not going to like some of those, but... He also did a lot of television series. He did some work on the Gilligan's Island, The Brady Bunch, The Love Boat, shows like that. So, I mean, he's had an extensive career. Mm, Exciting. (laughs) (laughs) There was a couple of people who uh, helped write this film and some interesting ideas how, you know, it came to fruition. But Harry Essex, he helped write this film along with Arthur A. Ross and Maurice Zim. Harry Essex also worked with Jack Arnold on It Came From Outer Space. He did some work on Dragnet and a film called The Cremators back in the day. Arthur Ross, he worked on a comedy show, The Red Skeleton Hour. Nice. Yeah, it was kind of cool. The movie The Creature Walks Among Us, he did some work on The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, The Great Race, some interesting stuff like that. And Maurice Zim, he did some work on The Perry Mason Show, a film called Jeopardy, and The Prodigal, which was a story. And William Allen is actually person who came up with the concept of this monster but these guys are contributed to the writing for the film all right yeah so our cinematographer for this film is william e schneider he did some really cool works man he's getting, he's known for his uh cinematography for i guess this time period specifically he did work on the aloma of the seas the loves of carmen tearing the pirates the story of dr wassell bonanza the television show he did the pilot for the original star trek oh Whoa, what, wait, what? Yeah, for real. Um, okay, now that's dope. Yeah, so he, I mean... Also, the, I was going to say Bonanza, that's kind of dope, but that's more just because the theme songs. Yeah, this, catches this too, during this time period, he started working with Disney as well. So he worked on a lot of projects for the uh, Disney's Wonderful World of Color series. Just knowing that he did work on Star Trek, the actual pilot, and then they brought him on for two episodes. They were continuations of each other. The episodes were The Cage and The Menagerie Part 2. Right. So if you're familiar with the OG Star Trek, what Mr. Shatner, and uh, Leonard uh, Nimoy, Fuck, yeah, Singing George Takai, all that stuff. So yeah, it's pretty cool. We get to talk about Star Trek a little bit. Um, our editor for this film is Ted J. Kent. 
He did a lot of horror films. Bride of Frankenstein, Father Goose, the movie Showboat, The Wolfman, Uncle Tom's Cabin, The Invisible Man, and The Lady in the Morgue. All right. So he's known for doing a few Universal films, that is. Our music for this is uh, several gentlemen. Henry Mancini, Hans J. Salter, and Hermann Stein. They were all unaccredited, but they worked uh, in the music department for this film. Now, Henry Mancini, I actually know the name Mm -hmm. right off the top because he did the Pink Panther theme. Oh, nice. That's pretty awesome. Uh, (laughs) By the way, the music in this is incredible. It is. It builds a lot of tension in this film. They do a good job of kind of building that. Our musical director is uh, Joseph Gershenson. Our producer, I was talking about William Alland. He did some pretty interesting things, man. He helped with the original War of the Worlds, the 1938 Halloween radio broadcast. He lent one of the voices. Oh, shit. Yeah. He also worked, I think, as a reporter in the movie Citizen Kane way back in the day. And during that time period when he was working on Citizen Kane, I wanted to talk about this, how he got the concept for the actual creature. He was attending a 1941 dinner party when he met Mexican cinematographer Gabriel Figueroa, who told him about the myth of a race of half-fish and half-human creatures in the Amazon River. So that kind of gave him the idea. I guess he wrote some notes, started working on the story 10 years later. His inspiration, too, was Beauty and the Beast. Oh, right. Uh, Yeah, which is kind of neat. That kind of fits. Yeah, so, like I said, during the 50s, he met up with the three gentlemen I mentioned earlier who helped write the film. And uh, they kind of helped direct it more into the direction it became with the Gill Man. Mm-hmm. He helped, like I said, just get the idea off the ground, which is kind of neat, just on a chance encounter. Before we're far too far away from Henry Mancini, there was one other thing no, no, I wanted I to throw out, with that, yeah. just because I wanted to make sure of it real quick. Especially while we're talking about old Hollywood, like we got 1950s going on right now talking about this movie. Holla. He also did Moon River for Breakfast oh, at Tiffany's. No so, shit. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Damn. I think that's where the talent on shows this. through in this film. Cause... Oh, no doubt. I like that you're right. The score for this film is brilliant. Can't knock it. That's pretty cool facts. William Allen also helped produce the Deadly Mantis horror film and The Mole People. That was a couple of others' projects oh, okay. that he helped produce. Yeah. Some interesting things. Production companies for this film. Of course, we talked about Universal International Pictures. Our distributors, once again, are universally helped with the 1954 USA theatrical release and general film distributors known as GFD. They help with the 1954 United Kingdom theatrical release. Premiered in two different cities in the United States. It had a February 12th, 1954 premiere both in Denver and in Detroit. And then to the general public, it was released on March 5th, 1954. The budget was unknown, but the gross for this film made a little over a million, like $1.3 million at the box office, which is saying a lot. That's pretty big uh, big time. I, I don't know what that translates to. For inflation? Yeah. So while you're looking that up, you know I like my taglines. Right. Okay, so I wrote down a couple. There's a few that kind of tickled my fancy for this one. One of them that I liked was Centuries of Passion Pent Up in His Savage Heart. You had gleaned a little bit towards that direction with this creature. The second one was Clawing Monsters from a Lost Age Strikes from the Amazon's Forbidden Depths. All right, so that, to pop back real quick, you said like 1.3 million, something like that? Right, it was, yeah, 1.3. So that'd be about 11.9 million now. 
Still not bad. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. <laughs> Damn. I did write down a few other because there were some credits that didn't really get acknowledged. There's something else I wanted to bring up yeah. that was kind of neat. Kind of plays in with the time period a little bit, but while we're in the technical details, this movie was shot in 3D. It was. It certainly was. And they didn't use the blue and red filters No, it was gray filters. Yeah, exactly. Which apparently was more uh, superior to the blue and red. And it was the first time that they used stereoscopic cameras underwater. Pretty dope. In order to do all the 3D underwater and shit. Not to get into how it made me squeal too much, right? but I would say there were a couple scenes in this movie where you could tell that they were filming for 3D. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it was awesome, man. I think that was a highlight, possibly, of the film. See, I did buy a Blu-ray box set of the Universal Monsters not too long ago, so I got to watch it on my nice new Mm. Blu-ray. Everything looked really pretty. I mean... Obviously, they shot it on fucking real film back in the day, so that Blu-ray transfer is fucking gorgeous. Oh, man, yeah. I bet um, it was a nice transfer. And I wish I had a 3D TV, because it offered 3D, oh, but I had to watch it flat. So uh, that's okay. I could have watched it 3D if, you know, I wasn't a fucking scrub. One day in the future. That's right. <laughs> that's another thing I know that I know. Like, if I know somebody with a 3D TV, I yeah. can be like... Hey, do you want to watch Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D? Because it's 1954, and then we can go down to the malt shoppy. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we can go down to get a malt. <laughs> you were speaking of the underwater sequences, and the person responsible for directing those was James C. Havens. He had a lot of assistant directing roles. He didn't really direct anything on his own. Special photography also went to Charles S. Wellborn. Same thing. He didn't have very many projects outside of this. And uh, our makeup artist for this is Bud Westmore, who got sole credit, but there is argument, too, that the designer of the Approved Guild Man was actually a Disney animator known as Millicent Patrick, but her role was deliberately downplayed (laughs) by Bud Westmore. And for, like... They said half a century, he basically got sole credit for creating the creature. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know. I did want to say that uh, Jack Kevin, he worked on the Wizard of Oz, and uh, he made prosthetics for amputees during World War II. He's the one who uh, created the bodysuit. Oh, okay. For the gentleman, and Chris Mueller is the one who sculpted the head piece. So, yeah, that kind of rounds out the people behind the scenes of this film. And I think another, because this is a little bit more of a technical note, so I think one more little interesting technical note is that this is technically the second appearance of the Gill Man. Hmm. What was Uh, the first? Gill Man wasn't introduced in this movie. Before they ran this movie, they introduced him on a comedic short with Abbott Abbott and Costello uh, with... Uh, Abbott and Costello meet the creature from the Black Lagoon for, I think, like the Colgate Comedy Hour or something nice. like that. Yeah. But they actually were like, here, I've never actually seen it. I mean, I literally could probably look it up on YouTube <laughs> right now. Maybe we'll do that in between segments. Yeah. Maybe not. Depends if we remember two minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. But this was technically the second time. If you were paying attention to things and, yeah, they're not you know, period, yeah. had your... Fucking finger on the pulse of Hollywood back in the 50s, then. Huh. Interesting time period, eh? Mm-hmm. Which he was... Did. So that means he was... That's like a backdoor pilot. That's the same thing that they did. Okay, that's not the same thing, but... That's an easy, like, soft way to introduce a character 
and build it in. And once again, like we were already saying, fucking shared universe. Yeah. Because by this point, Evan Costello had already met fucking Frankenstein and Wolfman and all that bullshit. Yeah, so it wouldn't be out of the realm that they'd meet the creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it fits right into their universe. That's really cool. One show that came to mind when you said that was like, that's how Pete and Pete kind of got on the air. It started off as just little 30-second clips, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that's really cool, man. Did we talk about the people that are in this yet? No, we just okay. talked about the behind the scenes. And so our cast, I guess we can segue into that. Because I was going to say, I have, as far as interesting little trivia yeah. tidbits go, I think I'm almost out except for one thing involving our male lead. Okay. Nice. I'll start with, actually, you want me to start with that, that gentleman? I start in how you want. I know that yeah. you have better notes on them than I do uh, right now. No so. All right, so Richard Carlson, he plays David Reed in this film, which he's one of our lead male actors in this film. He was in roles in the film Hold the Ghost. It came from outer space and the film The Ghost Breakers. So Richard Carlson oh, yeah. is the one that I have this thing on. Okay. Interesting thing. He was the same age as Universal Studios. Oh, no shit. Um, he was born on April 29th, 1912, and Universal International Studios started as a studio or whatever. It was founded just a few hours later on April 30th, 1912. Wow. <laughs> Go figure. So he was literally within hours, within a day, the same age as Universal when he was the star for them in this movie. It was fate for him. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Huh. He does a good job in this film. I won't say that much. I thought everybody did a good job. Stellar, yeah. Even the fucking the boat driver who is intentionally yeah. pretty hammy. But he does a good job. Uh, he was entertaining, in. yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so with Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, she played uh his fiance, I suppose, in this film. Kay, I didn't get her last name, I should have wrote it down, but she was in the film McHugh, the film Catch Fire and the show Code Red back in the 70s. So she's still around. She's in her 90s, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Richard Denning, he plays Mark Williams in this. He's also another expedition member. He's another lead actor, I suppose, in this film. He was known for his work in An Affair to Remember, The Black Scorpion, Flame of Stambul, and The Creature with the Atom Brain. So he had some really cool roles, man. A lot of these people really did. I think that most of them had a, a lot of television series, Films that were kind of similar to like um, sci-fi and the atomic age in that time period. Not only that, but I mean, with this time period, it's also going to take you forever to actually scroll through these people's filmographies. Oh, yeah, they were all look. in a lot of movies. I'm looking at fucking Richard Denning shit here alone. I'm yeah, it's like golden age of cinema. Uh, with his TV appearances and movie appearances in 1956 alone, you have one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, I mean, ten appearances in 56 alone. Holla. So, I mean, yeah, these, these people are getting work. Working. Yeah. No slowing down during those time periods. There was work to be had. Moving on from uh, Richard Denning, who, like I said, played Mark, we have uh, Nestor Paiva. He was the one who played the captain of the boat and goes to Lagoon. His name is Lucas in this film, but he was in roles in the Rotorio. The Mad Men of Mandores and the Mole People. So he also worked with some of these other people behind the scenes. And probably where I would have seen him was the Walt Disney TV series Zorro. Yeah, nice. As the innkeeper. 
because I watched a lot of Zorro when I was growing up. There was a lot <laughs> of Zorro awesome. reruns really early in the morning. Yeah. And when like I'd wake up, when my dad would wake up, when he'd start getting to work, and he had to be to work like 30 minutes before I had to be to school, and they were within a block of each other, so I'd go with him, be there like 45 minutes early, and so I'd just kick back at his work and watch like fucking shit on TV. Nice. And so a lot of like Zorro reruns and shit, so. There you go, man. That's a pretty cool, interesting tie back in. Wood Bissell, he played Dr. Thompson. He gets kind of fucked up in this film. He was in the show The Lone Ranger. He had some really cool credits, too. An Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was a teenage werewolf. I was a teenage Frankenstein. The Magnificent Seven. The Time Machine. Soylent Green. Seven Days in May. I mean, this guy had an extensive list, too. I mean, he gets, like, a small credit in this film. Bernie Gozier, he plays Z in this film. Uh, he had some interesting roles. He, he was in the film King of the Congo, The Flame Barrier. He was on the show My Three Sons. Like I said, so some of these people are probably, if you've seen some of these older shows, you would have been familiar with them. Henry Escalante plays Chico. He has an untimely fate in this film. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> but he was in Heart to Heart, uh, Monty Walsh, and The Man from Uncle. I know we brought that show up a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was on that show as well. Some of these actors really don't get credit for their roles but rico browning was the underwater gill man in this and it was interesting i got to watch an interview he had and he talked about how he got the role for this apparently he was doing like diving and swimming teams and all this stuff performances down in florida because that's where he's from and i think somebody who was working on this project was telling him is like look you might want to try out for this role and so he met with the producers he, uh, you know, performed underwater sequences or whatever, and they liked how he swam and offered him the role, and he got it. But what happened after that was is really cool. Is he wound up directing underwater sequences for some of the James Bond films, like Thunderball. Oh, shit. Yeah. I was looking up some of those stuff. Yeah, and Never Say Never Again. So some of those underwater sequences, he's the one to help with that. He was, like, the second unit director on Island of the Lost and Caddyshack. <laughs> That was pretty cool. But yeah, he's still around. His uh, underwater swimming as the creature is magnificent. Oh, especially considering he was wearing that fucking thing and couldn't see anything through his... He talked about the fact, too, that, like, you know, they didn't want him breathing like a normal person with it coming out of his his mask, so they wanted to create that effect of it coming out of his gills. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he talked about that, too. Like, that's a lot of stuff you have to contend with, and... Some of those techniques for that costume were new, and he was getting burnt a lot. <laughs> which you will notice if you watch the sequels, of which there are two, Yes, that they gave up in the sequels, and you can see the bubbles <laughs> yeah. coming out of the top of the phone. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty funny. You're right about that. Here's something, too. If you're familiar with the show Flipper... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm really, yeah. So he was working, like I said, down in uh, the Ivan Torres Studios in Florida, and he actually helped co-write and co-produce the 1963 MGM film Flipper. Oh no shit! And the, the series the old Flipper. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like said, well, the television I mean, series. It was as well. all the old. Yeah, but you know what? I, mean. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, so you know, you might not know who he is, but you're familiar with his work, which was really cool. And, oh, that's really dope. That's yeah. another one of those shows that, like I said, like I'd get up early I watched in the morning. That way back in the day there was flipper on early in the morning so i'd watch flipper i loved some flipper hey it happens <laughs> yeah i watch a lot of those old shows too with my uncle and my dad so for someone cool. who doesn't get in the water all that much I, I liked a lot of shit that was in the water when i was young flipper yeah it's um, a good show incredible mr limpet <laughs> yeah this <laughs> <It is. laughs> yeah there's a lot of water in this film 
Ben Chapman played opposite of him because he was the land creature in this film. Mm-hmm. So for the segments that he was either on the boat or on land, that's Ben Chapman. And uh, he did some interesting works back in those days, too. I wrote down that he worked on the film Jungle Moon Men, The Adventures in Paradise, My Little Margie, and Hawaiian Nights. So, so the first two both sounded like they could be pornos. Yeah, Jungle Moon Men and Adventures in Paradise. Maybe even Hawaiian Nights. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Hawaiian Nights. That's some softcore right there <laughs> for those who like the erotic adventures. Ginger Stanley, she did some of the underwater sequence swimming for K. She was like her stunt double, which is cool because there's a sequence where she gets to perform, and it's very notable. <laughs> yeah, she was actually, uh, during that time period, Rico Browning was talking about, she worked in some of those studios as like a mermaid. So she was, you know, performing underwater stunts. And so they had some really strong swimmers on this set. Let's put it that way. I'd imagine you'd have to, really. Oh, yeah. And the There's a lot of this movie that's underwater. Yeah. And they make you know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it keeps you entertained. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of rounds out who I've got for the cast and some of the people behind the scenes and some of the stunt people, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really have too much else technical-wise. I say we get into our notes and how we felt about this movie and truly how it made us squeal. I'm uh, let's do a warning first, though. Yeah, Although we should I don't warn feel people. like we really have to warn This one's, people. like, so scary. This movie is literally rated G. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... My Blu-ray copy, it popped up, and it's like, G. You know what's funny? Like, fantasy violence or something. You know, we've done, like, Repossessed, and we've done, you know, just, like, some more lighthearted side ones, too, you know, like, comedic ones, but this is their softest one we've done. This is absolutely... The most successful movie we've ever done. You could sit like your four-year-old in front of this movie. Oh, yeah, no problem. I mean, my nephews would get a kick out of this. Yeah. It's not scary anymore. No, I mean, for that time period, I could see it, you know, the imagination. Fucking Dora the Explorer is in more peril. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean. (laughs) People technically get killed in this movie, and Dora is in more peril than people in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, like you said, it's a universal 1950s movie. It's rated G. Our lightest film to date, so... There's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like monsters... <laughs> people get attacked by a guy in a foam rubber suit. If you don't like water, if you don't like monsters... There's no blood. There's, uh, yeah, absolutely no blood. There's very... I mean, there's some violence, but very tame. Yeah. It's... Kind of people falling against each other, sort of. Not violence. even language. There's like no language. No, in this. it's rated G. People like yeah. this is going to be G possibly one of the like lightest movies we'll ever do until we do another <laughs> one of these super old ones. Yeah. So but go. Does it mean it's not fun? Only like eighty minutes or something like that. Yeah, clocks in like right at seventy nine minutes. So it's a quick watch. It's fun. Rated G. You can invite your whole family over. Even Granny can watch this one. Yeah, with no you. shit. Granny probably already watched it. What are you talking? about? Yeah. This came out in fifty four. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't anything else. <laughs> She'll to learn watch. you up <laughs> about this film. But yeah, I mean, it's like I said. That's I suppose a warning for you. That's yeah. your warning. Is rated G. <laughs> that's your warning. <laughs> if you were expecting to get a bunch of blood and guts in this, I'd yeah. Go, nope. <laughs> nope. That, I mean, that's the most blood and guts you're going to get is just our commentary section. <laughs> Jesus, right? Uh, I mean, I, I guess this is a little bit of an evening out after yeah. Inside. God. Yeah, we're definitely outside of Inside right now. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's get into How Did This Make You Squeal. I'm ready. How Does That Make You Squeal? Uh, and we're squealing. Mm, I love squealing. Squealing with fucking laughter. So yeah. we actually did sit down and watch that Abbott and Costello meet Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It was good. Yeah, that was really good. 
Maybe we'll throw up on Facebook when we throw this episode out. Yeah, I think it'd be fun for everybody else to check it out. However, it's a little bit more Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein than Creature from the Black Lagoon. Although he does show up for like Cameo. eight seconds. Cameo. <laughs> yeah. With a name drop early in it. Yeah, exactly. It was really fun, though. Good Abbott and Costello. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I was fucking rolling over here. It was <laughs> fucking brilliant. Let's see. So, Creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954. Yes. Oh, it makes us squeal. Beware spoilers incoming. Yes, we are squealing. Although this is a really fucking simple movie. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. I like how they kind of lead it off with a narrative about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And, you know, there was a void. And then finally during that cooling down stage, you had life emerging. And there's a fossilized record. And then there's a certain time period that gets almost ingrained into an area that goes untapped until now. Until it leads us into the Amazon. And it was during that first, like, Big Bang sequence that I was like, man, I wish I was watching this in 3D. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, ah, uh, so pretty. Like, ah, oh, this would be dope. <laughs> Everything's exploding right at my face because it was shot in 3D. Yeah, <laughs> and it definitely would have played on those effects back then, too. That was really cool. I mean, eventually we get to, like, this team that finds this fossilized claw near a body of water on the Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, dude in charge of doing that's like, all right, I have to find the rest of this. This is pretty big. I need my A-team. Yeah, basically. And he goes off to find the others. He meets Kay and David Reed in this film on that little raft at the Marine Biology Study Institute. Oh, that's right. And he's down on a dive and she fucking... Yeah, she starts Jingle, 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 jingle. It's like, yeah, he's here... (laughs) That's what was going on, right? There was yeah. a bell in that? Oh, yeah. I would imagine something to tip him off. <laughs> she just wasn't expecting him to see it just, like, dangling. <laughs> right. They get news of what he finds. Like you said, they get that team together. Mark's a part of it, who we find out later. So they all go down to the Amazon to see what else they can find in that area. Well, and bringing Mark in, I can't remember what made them bring Mark in. Was he already part of their team? He was a part of, like, uh, a group of scientists that... The guy who found the claw, Dr. Carl, whatever, he brought it back. He showed it to those group of scientists. Mark was a part of that. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I know that this probably isn't the first movie to use this dynamic. There was a lot of creature features coming out in this time period. This movie was kind of capitalizing on that. They're like, hey, we know it's popular right now. We can do this. We used to do creatures all the time anyway. So, I mean, they were still doing other creatures to an extent also during this time period, but... Yeah. This was like, cool, we can jump on 3D and creatures because creatures are big right now. Yeah. I like um, said, it was during that time period. It was perfect for it. So I know with all those creature features going on in this time period, it definitely wasn't the first one to use this dynamic. But it was interesting seeing a very early version of a dynamic that still plays out, especially in movies involving creatures to this day, of like the sort of corporate interest having to be a member of the team and sort of going against everyone else. To sort of, he started off more of a corporate interest, and towards the end, I'm not quite clear what his goal was. But know, he was, man. I mean, going on in creature features that include a team, there's always the one guy that's like, especially if it's a team of scientists, there's always <laughs> one guy like, no, let's just fucking kill it. And that was him. He was, the and dude. it continues to this day. I was like, oh shit, I know who this guy is because I've seen <laughs> this a million times. That's funny. <laughs> but he does. He comes across as that. 
there's a sequence, I guess, when they're uh, first forming that team in that little lab, I guess, where they're showing the claw. Reed goes on about, he starts showing, like, the tanks of those different sea life. He's like, oh, this one, like, stopped evolving at a certain point, tried to get out of the water. And then he goes on about creatures evolving and... Um, Which is interesting during that time period, too. You I was think. about to say something. Now, that jumped out at me, and I wasn't sure how I was going to go off on this tangent. Yeah. But especially because we don't Sorry. often go, like, really political on this show. We've mentioned things here or there. But I think it's really interesting with all the... So I've always thought of, like, art be- is a reflection of culture. Even, like, the art that's just made for the masses... It's made for the masses by identifying with things within the culture that will appeal to the masses. Right, exactly. And then, obviously, like the more intellectual art tends to more push cultural ideas and make you think about things that are on the edges and maybe push towards a certain train of thought. Right. But it's all based on whatever is in the zeitgeist of the culture at the time. Oh, yeah. Like I said, there was a lot of creature features going on at this time period because it's directly post-World War II. And you have the atom bomb going off and radiation and fears of that. But also, like, to an extent, also, depending on where you're watching movies from, you also have almost like a nationalistic bent where, like, not in the same way we see it now, but more like we were able to do this. What else are we capable of? Let's keep pushing towards the future. Yeah. Because the future is now. And we are now the ones that are in control of it because we were already able to do this. And there's a lot of these creature features from this time period that will take the time, much like this scene that you just brought up, to sort of sit down and tell you about the science. Yeah. Even if it's just a little, you know, all of it has it a little bit tweaked and technobabble for whatever reason. They're making a monster of some sort. Like, there's no fucking way that we would end up with Gilman still running around. (laughs) I know, right? Because there was a whole lot of idea at the time, like, it's fucking space race, and we now are masters of the atom, and it was a huge science forward. But then you compare it with today's Make America Great Again. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. And some of the super conservatives that are supposedly wanting to go back to that time period, and forgetting that that time period was about embracing leaps forward. This movie takes it for granted that evolution happened and the Big Bang happened and science is the way to go. It's interesting, wasn't it? It's a play on that concept. I was thinking that too. It's like for people who are watching this film in modern times, it doesn't have that same narrative, so to speak, right? You don't have the same social context, which I thought, like I said, I was like, wow, that's kind of interesting using the Big Bang and now they're talking about millions of years ago and these different creatures evolving. But yeah, there you go. And he was saying it in plain sight. And that's the thing. A lot of these other creature features just boldly, flat out accept science. Yeah. So yeah, let's go find it. That was a reflection of the true culture was a passion to move forward and not this adherence to theocratic values. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's fucked up. (laughs) Anyway, I couldn't help but go down that little... When I started noticing that shit, I'm like, God damn it. And that's... uh, and they that's where a lot it. of the I mean, creature features come from, too, because you also have... There's so much play before. on the military complex, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, because a few years before this, Godzilla, oh, yeah. that's, of course, fallout from the atomic bomb. 
And I think that's a lot of the impetus behind like them and stuff as well. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Most kaiju flicks for sure, but yeah, but I mean, it just shows this is kind of the social context you're going to get in these films, mm-hmm. which is cool. But what I was going to say, I guess, getting into that spiel, like I said, he goes on in that tangent. I guess that kind of gives him uh, an idea of like, oh yeah, you know, this is there's no telling what we'll find how many millions of years ago. They embark on that expedition, and I noted. <laughs> The name of the boat is Rita. Did you write that down? I didn't have to write that down. That was ingrained into my memory. <laughs> that was funny. Mark or somebody starts complaining about, you know, could we get a better ship? It's like, man, you complaining? You know what kind of shit you're, you're getting yourself into in the Amazon? I think they're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, that's what he was thinking. Right? <laughs> so eventually they start going into the waters. I think they turn to the camp where some guys got attacked previously oh yeah because the creature's been sort of lurking this entire time mm-hmm. and that opening killing of those two guys that's the only one where the creature's kind of sympathetic throughout most of this movie mm-hmm. he is sort of also like stealthy kill ninja throughout a lot of this movie yeah he does a lot of creeping it's weird because he is just kind of wanting to do it with the chick I mean, that's, that's the, the impetus for his entire everything. It's just that, I mean, he's just socially stunted. He grew up with nobody to talk to in the Amazon. And most people that encounter him want to kill him. So he just kills people. As far as I know, I haven't seen a bride of the preacher. He was mm-hmm. looking for a mate. Right. I believe he's the last one of his kind. So yeah, and he's it, just like, he saw I the need guys to get it threats. in something. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of interesting, too. Like, that was like... Uh, for I can't a, reach a G-rated, my own. <laughs> for a G-rated film, this has a lot of sexual innuendos. And I can't reach my own gills. I need to get it in something. Come on, help me out. <laughs> yeah. Now, he, he winds up getting those two guys in the tent at the beginning. And when the team returns and they discover that... I wish K they would have made that a little bit more ambiguous. I wish that yeah, they, they no, would have I mean, made you know, him more... Just checking things out and them more blatantly attack first just to make him a little bit more sympathetic. But. Yeah, because then it kind of turns the tide in the way you feel about the creature in the beginning. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's attacking people. Maybe that's a kind of a good throw you off, you know, bait you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, upon arrival, they discover the gentleman. Kay almost gets clawed at by the creature. Oh yeah, almost. Yeah, almost. That was kind of scary. I don't know if he would have done it anyway, though. No, no. I think he was still too scared at that point. Because like was, I said, he's um, kind of just socially kind of awkward. Yeah. And I think he was just sort of seeing what his limits were. And even if she would have stayed in place at that early on, I don't think he would have touched her. No. Maybe grazed her. Because later on in the swimming, it takes him like three or four tries before he works up the courage to actually touch her foot. Yeah. And, and it, even then he doesn't like grab on. He just like touches and he's like, oh shit. Oh, Oh, gosh. Yeah, mate, it's like a playful thing, like said in Innocence, mm-hmm. perhaps. Eventually, like said, they're starting to dig, and they're trying to find more fossils, and they get tired of it. It's going on for like eight fucking days. Mm-hmm. Not getting any success. Then it finally dawns, and I was like, maybe we need to start checking maybe a little bit more upstream. Maybe this stuff is... If all this shit washed down, yeah. then we just got to find where it dead ends into. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, maybe there's a black lagoon up this way. <laughs> Let's go check it out, boys. Right? Of course, the fucking boat captain's just, or he's not, he doesn't even refer to himself as the captain. He refers to David. 
Right. He refers to him as the captain on the train. Yeah, he does. He says, Even though he's actually the captain of the boat. Right, it's his that's his boat. boat. I don't know. That's weird. But he refers to what's-his-nuts as the captain. Right. <laughs> but he's just like, oh, nobody comes out from there. Let's go. <laughs> I know, right? No big deal. Nobody ever returns. So, yeah, they eventually get into the lagoon. and Not the Blue Lagoon. No, not the Blue you. Lagoon. That's a different movie. It's a sexy movie. Yeah. We don't have pubescent doctor playing in this lagoon <laughs> not quite <laughs> no there's a uh, a sequence while they're going into that lagoon where she eventually don't they go like diving and they're finding the rocks and stuff and they, he brings up like a flower for her or whatever and now that was the thing there's a lot of this movie that's these diving sequences normally i'd say in most other movies you could probably cut most of them in half and right. they'd still be as effective this was pretty cool because you can sort of tell that those were the moments that they were most playing with the 3D. Oh, for there sure. There was a lot of things very much in the foreground and playing with depth and having things on a lot of different levels to actually play with the 3D effect, which in some of the shots actually looked really cool. Yeah. And in some of the shots, you can tell looks really forced. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, for the 50s, it is probably, like I said, a new way of thinking of how to capture those shots. It brings a certain style to this movie, I, I, yeah, in my opinion. Sure. And once the fucking Gill Man starts creeping on him, it's astounding. <laughs> I love all of his sequences and the yeah. way that that suit blends in with like all the fucking plant life down there and shit that he keeps retreating back to. It is amazing. They put a lot of thought into the those shots. So you have to imagine, like, in order to give that effect. But feeling natural, like mm-hmm. I mean, Rico Browning did an excellent job of portraying a creature that would feel natural in that habitat. And that was the thing I I, I had to keep reminding myself because there was times where it didn't look natural. But I'm like, he's also in a fucking foam rubber suit. Yeah, like the amount that this looks awesome is astounding because it was close. Like there's not much more that you could do these days. The suit would be a little bit better made and shit. Yeah, I mean you can reference. Things that we'll we'll get to some of the shit that's happening nowadays. I, I feel like I this this movie is more important right now than I think it's been in a long time. But I totally agree. For but let's get to the end of the we'll movie to, and yeah. then I'll talk. We'll talk about that because I think we both kind of want to touch on some of this latest shit. But but this, there's a lot of things I've, I noticed about this film was those sequences like when David and Mark go down, you know, and they're exploring and they're at that time the 3D effects would have given you some really cool visuals. But then eventually, once they get back on board and they want to research what they find, Kay gets the idea, like, I'm just going to go in for a dip. She wants to know what it's like. And what she does, get some interesting play, like you said earlier, where the creature finally works up the courage to touch her. And I love when he's swimming upside yeah. down, mirroring her. That's a really cool shot. And not just that, I have to imagine some of the her swimming shots mm-hmm. later inspired Jaws. Jaws. Oh, yeah, for sure. It had to have, right? I mean, that, that almost, when I think about that, almost looks like the poster for Jaws. It almost, yeah, it almost looked exactly <laughs> like the poster from Jaws. Yeah. It's fucking astounding. I was just sitting there like, oh, oh, shit. Well, he loved this movie, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it would, probably would have been a kid, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He would have been a kid. And made perfect sense. Yeah. Speaking of which, we didn't get into this at the beginning like we normally do. I don't think I've seen this movie since I was a kid. Likewise. There was a lot of times where, like I said, my dad and my uncles, they would watch these old Universal 
monster films, whether it be this, The Mummy, Frankenstein, you name it. But yeah. Now, I've brought up the Universal Monsters on a number of our episodes, if you're a listener, and I've always sort of credited those with a lot of being my first forays into horror, but... I mean, I grew up in a tiny town, so there wasn't much chances for me to ever really get my hands on these movies, especially this old and shit. Yeah. So I mostly had to catch them once a year on, like, a horror movie marathon on, like, TNT or fucking, or something. You know what I mean? I I don't know what station, but TBS or AMC or something. It could be Turner Classics, yeah, et cetera. And so I'd maybe get to see them once a year from ages like six to nine and then some of those stations changed came under new ownership sometimes they would just you know they just don't get as much ratings from the older ones anymore so they'd start doing like the friday the 13th and stuff instead (laughs) as much as they were very much a foundation and what led me to horror early on I didn't get much of a chance to see these for a long time. and no, I, I don't think a lot of things. generations did for those same reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just exposure. That's a great point, too. But, I mean, getting to watch it now, you know, you get to appreciate it for what it was worth back then, too, I think. I guess getting back into this. Being that it's not this. very scary, yeah. it was kind of an interesting exercise in, like, trying to put myself in the mindset of... That time period? Of that time period yeah. and, like... Insight is still 40 years away from being made. You know oh, what I mean? Man. Like, I mean, yeah. I was thinking that too. Is like without giving you these visual gore effects and, you know, just distraughtful things, <laughs> you know, it was more just a play on still using your imagination. Yeah. Without all this knowledge that we have and the background and just the more intense culture that we're brought up in. Where a lot of this shit is just fucking commonplace. It doesn't matter. Fucking. Yeah. This movie still manages to prey upon things like he might be being playful from underneath, but that scene where she's swimming at the end and he touches her, that's exactly the fucking fear. If you're out in the water and something oh, touches man. your fucking foot. Yeah, you're like, I'm getting back on land or. I don't know what the fuck dry. that was. That No, I'm out of here. Something just touched me. Yeah. I, it shouldn't have touched me because all I'm doing is sitting here treading water. <laughs> We've all been there, yeah, right? Like, yeah. It's it, that it's universal the fear. Of the fear. Well, exactly. And water, bodies of water, always give you the creeps mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah, it's a perfect play on that fear. But that's those moments that this film do give you, is that any time that they go down on those waters, there's no telling what can happen. And not just that, but I mentioned before, fuckers ninja-like. Yeah. And so that fear of the unknown Blends plays in. throughout this movie... And he can just sort of strike at any time. Yeah, and I like, too, how he has access to the boat. He just gets on whenever he wants and fucks shit up. Anytime everybody's looking the same direction, (laughs) he's there. That's my moment, yeah. You have to be looking at all places all the time or else he's going to make his way in. It's clever. It is a clever way, their imagination on this film. But like I said, even to the point where uh, they eventually have the discovery, you know, that there is a creature in this lagoon... It's kind of interesting how they have those moments, too, and then they eventually get trapped in. And then throughout those sequences, too, like, slowly but surely, the creature's picking these people off. <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's picking them off. Really one by one. Way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, one guy, I think he just basically just gets dragged in. He's, like, knocked unconscious and dragged off the boat. <laughs> Possibly drowned. Creature is super strong. Oh, yeah. He fucks things up. There's a sequence where he picks David up, and we're like, damn, he yeah. could have got destroyed. <laughs> Even when he does get injured, 
the creature, right? He gets speared. He's got a healing factor, right? He does. Like, I mean, he got hit with like a lantern. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like fire. No, he doesn't like fire, and he doesn't we like... Uh, he doesn't like spear shots. Doesn't like spear shots. There's that drug, too. I was like, well, that I was, was funny, say, dude. What did they keep? What did they keep? <laughs> I can't... I want to say Rehypnol, but that's not it. <laughs> no, I can't remember the exact drug. It was some kind of toxin or poison. Oh, I'm going to look it up right now. It started um, with an R, I want to say, but I can't remember. Rotenone? Rotenone? I don't know how to say it, but... It's an odorless, colorless, crystalline isoflavone... Huh. Used as a broad spectrum insecticide, fishicide, and pesticide. It's not the word is not actually fishicide, but I know that that's what it means. <laughs> so I'm not going to try to actually say. Well, it, well piscicide, kind of like Pisces. So that would be that, it. Yeah. It occurs naturally in the seeds and stems of several plants, such as the jicama vine plant, and roots of several members of something. Huh. Yeah, it's a non-selective fish killer. Also used in powdered form to treat scabies and head lice. Oh, shit. So have you got lice or have you got scabies? <laughs> there you go. It's also one of the pesticides that you can use yeah. on an organic farm. No shit. <laughs> Damn. That's by crazy. the A non-selective fish killer, by the way. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Well, takes care of the creature. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny how they start off by just trying to get it on the top layer. And they're like, hold on. We need to go further with that shit. So they they get the spray pump. I like how he gets blasted a few times, get them all drugged up. <laughs> it oh, gets yeah. that <laughs> gets all slow. And that. that that was still the the other thing though. Like the idea kept being yeah, well, they brains didn't over brawn too. Yeah, they didn't want to kill him. Dickhead Mark that kept just trying to he, kill him. He kind of like by all means we need to capture it. Whereas David was more like, no, we need to just study it. Mm-hmm. And. As we see, like, Mark keeps using the spear gun, which really doesn't have any effect. <sighs> it just pisses the creature off. when the scientist is like, well, what can we do? Like, all I need to do is buy some time. All we need to do is get out of here. We can leave it the fuck alone. Yeah. All we need to do is get out of here. All we need to do is make it drowsy. So let me just squirt this shit in his face, and we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> How is this rated G again? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, eventually that's what happens. Oh, dude, because, yeah, in the water, it definitely looked like it was just splooging out into his face. It was more cloud-like than that, but... Yeah, it's like, come on, man. In, in 3D? Do you think they shot that 3D? <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. For the kids. Now, in the end, they do end up, I guess, shooting it to death, technically. But it doesn't die. Yeah, because there's returns and whatnot. Spoiler, there's returns, sequels. But still, I, I do like the fact that they use the more, like I said, scientific, the more, I guess, humane way of approaching finding something new. Whereas, typically, you want to kill it, destroy it, smash it, you know, whatever you have to do to conquer it. Yeah, this is a part of that narrative. We need to leap forward from those kind of trains of thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool play on it. I really enjoyed that part of it, actually. Now, it's also interesting, thinking back... I was also trying to think back to my history with this, and the first time I saw the creature from the Black Lagoon, well, the creature himself, Gilman, wouldn't have been the movie. It wouldn't have been the Abbott and Costello. You guys say Scooby-Doo? No, fucking (laughs) Monsters. Oh, yeah. Uncle Gilbert. Nice, yeah. I loved me the Monsters, which, once again, was interestingly kind of a play on the Universal Monsters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was... Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman. Yeah, they're all... It was all of them, right? Yeah. Uncle Gilbert shows up. Hey. (laughs) Uh, I loved the fucking monsters. Good show. Uh, For real. 
that was a good time. Like I said, forgetting, and it was kind of playful more so than it wasn't really scary. I mean, maybe for some people. And I know that Brian Fuller tried to do a remake that I don't even know if it got a full season. Mockingbird Lane. Yeah. I mean, I'd be willing to check it out just because Brian Fuller's involved and uh, Eddie Izzard. I didn't check it out while it was on TV because, sorry. (laughs) I didn't even know about it. (laughs) I'll be honest, I didn't feel like it was the right way to... uh, I'm not the first one to point this out. I kind of heard it on another podcast, but I absolutely agree. I don't feel like it's the right way to go about rebooting the Munsters. The Munsters were making fun of like what was huge in horror at the time, which was the Universal Monsters. And so if you were to update it truly, you should ape and put together all the characters for modern day horror. You could. And you should do it extremely modern day horror. I wouldn't even do it with like Jason and Freddy these days. I would do it with like Babadook and... I mean, you could do it with... uh, Annabelle... All that stuff, yeah. And have you know, fucking some way of having them all having to live in a house together in like a fucking <laughs> Figure it out. goofy sitcom. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, water down the characters as much as they did oh, in can. the monsters. Make them recognizable as who they are without not actually being that. Yeah. The basement could be the sunken place from Get Out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, could be. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up, but... <laughs> they could go there with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, overall, we could sit here and run through the movie all day long with it. I mean, it's it's an easy movie to, to talk about, but there is that point, too, where they get lulled into the trap. I mean, the creature itself. It's like, look, I let you in. You're fucking me up. <laughs> Motherfucker set me on fire. Yeah, it's like, what what the shit, man? What the shit, bros? <laughs> I thought you was bringing me some tank. <laughs> fucking him up sorry this is a g movie (laughs) (laughs) that's seriously the plot though (laughs) i know right but you know it it is an interesting woven tell of like science and this narrative on exploration and what to do with it and you know for a film that's a universal creature film too i mean that's kind of unique you know entry into it as well that narrative i think it's cool man now i do want to point out i mentioned it before i think this movie is more important to the cultural landscape right now and for the next year or so than it has been in a long time. First off, because I wish I would have had a chance to see it before we watched this movie. Mm -hmm. Guillermo del Toro just dropped The Shape of Water. Oh, yeah. Which is big. Which is supposed to be his best film. I mean, that's what the critics are claiming. That would blow me the fuck away because Pan's Labyrinth is a masterpiece. Yeah, that is a beautiful film. And if this is better, then I am just prepared to... Well, I think it's supposed to be playing pretty soon. I know, that's what I'm thinking. But it's basically (laughs) Guillermo del Toro doing What If the Creature from the Black Lagoon Got the Girl. Yeah, and... The cool thing about that is we, we talked about this earlier, too, is where GDT was supposed to be given the rights over to the Universal franchise, right? So I, and, I looked that up, actually. This isn't the newest of news. This broke like two, three months yeah, exactly. ago, something like that. But it's, concerning what we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. is absolutely germane to the conversation. Guillermo del Toro, I think he was asked what he regrets in his career. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wasn't the question. Maybe but basically, regret, but he yeah. said that his regret was 
walking away from Universal. The quote was, The only time I repent I didn't do something was in 2007, when Universal, in an incredibly gentle and beautiful manner, said, Do you want to take over the monster universe? And they gave me the reins of several properties, and I didn't do it. That I repent. So this is a confessional moment. I repent. That's the only thing. Wow. First off, he would have been perfect. Oh, we to watched, take over all of those properties. We had watched the trailer for one of the uh, Treehouse of Horrors. That was just like a huge homage to all of that stuff. He's perfect for it. He obviously just made his fucking Creature from the oh, Black yeah. Lagoon movie. Yeah. Not calling it that, but yeah. It's exactly what it is, though. It's the creature gets the girl. You can get that from the trailer alone. And, yeah, that's and not spoiling around, anything. Yeah, that's not spoiling the movie. It's the creature gets the girl. It's sort of the narrative that even the people on set talked about. I saw, like, uh, Julia in interviews talked about, oh, yeah, I saw him as a sympathetic character. Right? Right, yeah. Even on set, like, we all got along. There was no weirdness because of these parts that we had to play or anything. Is But it's we all sort of understood what was going on with this movie. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That'll be now, the other interesting thing, he said was that he was given control of several properties. You'd get to get take control of the Universal Monsters. I want to talk about this because we're not going to get a chance to talk about this until we talk about another, another Universal, Universal yeah. movie. So I have to nerd out a little bit. Universal Monsters may be one of the first shared universes. They were just trying to do that again. Exactly. If you don't keep up with that side, because it was a little bit more on like the mainstream Hollywood side, less on the horror side... So if that's not necessarily the news you'd keep up with, it was kind of in like the genre comic book side because of the way it started off. And they're like, oh, cool, Avengers is huge, big shared universe, everything's shared universe now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, all these shared universes are doing great. You have like the Arrowverse on TV. And so Universal's like, we have a franchise that was a shared universe because they all crossed over with Abbott and Costello. And they're some of the most recognizable movie icons of all time so let's reboot the monster universe yeah and you got the movie dracula untold which underperformed so much that as soon as it came out they're like oh no 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 no! that's not the beginning of the dark universe the next movie's the beginning of the dark universe that was just that was something else we were trying never mind about that yeah and that's when they did the mummy (laughs) mummy underperformed so bad that they had a team that was working on Creature from the Black Lagoon, and they left, and then Guillermo del Toro didn't take up the reins, so they don't have anybody currently heading the Dark Universe. There's disputes on whether they would even be able to use that name, because that's the name that Warner Brothers, I believe, has already trademarked for the Justice League Dark movie, which, coincidentally... The earlier drafts were all done by Guillermo del Toro, and he was slated to direct until recently. (laughs) (laughs) And with something, oh my god, he would have been perfect for it, but I don't want to nerd out that hard. But So So. now it looks like they try to jump the gun and be like, we're going to go in and make a shared universe from the beginning. Yeah. And completely fucked it up. They (laughs) shat the bed. (laughs) What the fuck, bro? (laughs) Trying to use a name that it wasn't even sure that they wouldn't be even able to use. Yeah. Which was, I mean, even a bigger shitting of the bed, in my opinion. Like, it was obvious nobody was really in control of this from the get-go. Yeah. And it's really sad because I think you could do... 
it's obvious that you can do awesome things with these characters because Guillermo del Toro just did something with Gilman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can be creative still using the same characters, you know? I think what some people might have a problem with is the context of the using them in during certain time periods, perhaps. How to still make it relevant and fresh, you know? But that's the whole point. Use your fucking imagination. And the other reason this movie's relevant, we're about to get another Hellboy movie. Yeah. The character of Abe Sapien, very obviously based on Gilman. Once again, tying into Guillermo del Toro being that he directed <laughs> I, two Hellboy movies. Figure, right? But he didn't come up with the character of Abe. That no. was Mike Mignola, so. Yeah. But still, it's, it's kind of cool. All these connections, right back to it. It's like the universe is telling you, hey, literally, you need to do Universal. Yeah. And that's the funny thing is, like, we didn't choose to do this because The Shape of Water just no, came no, out. No, 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 no. has nothing to do with it. It's just a coincidence. We just both like Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. This is a good film. I mean... Through all the stuff we talked about, I mean, I noted the underwater sequences, how pretty they were for that time period, how well done they were, too. It's funny, I didn't know it was the Flipper guy, but those underwater sequences reminded me of fucking Flipper, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there you go. But for that time period, man, that's some pretty interesting shots and techniques, and I don't know of many films prior to that that were doing that kind of stuff. I do want to say I didn't like the extreme close-ups on the creature's face when it wasn't in the water. Oh, it didn't look... That's the only time yeah. it really didn't look that good. In the water, I thought it looked really good. Yeah. It was, it Other was than it not like moving as much as like an actual something made of flesh would. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But. Still pretty cool. I did want to mention this, too. I know I would talk about Rico Browning for a little bit, but this is we're talking about Universal, right? This is an interesting thing about him. They said that he played in all the reincarnations, the revenge of the creature, and the creature walks among us. He's the only one who did the underwater sequences. Like, there was always different actors for the land sequences, for the mm. man. So as far as that goes, he's outlived all of those guys. He's the only surviving universal monster lead still alive. Yeah, I was like, that is crazy. And like, the last surviving of the original universal monsters. He's the last one still living. This is one of those weird things, though, where with the time period, how much later it came out wow. than the other ones. Yeah. And it would have been interesting to be alive back then just to see how it evolved so that Gilman was one of the ones that was remembered as a classic universal monster rather than some of the other titles they were doing. You know, that's a good point, too. I wonder how many people, like, when you think of Universal, is that the first one that comes to mind? Or, mm -hmm. you know, I think people... It, it just varies. It varies. I think that's about all I have for Creature on Black Lagoon. No, like I said, we talked about the fact that it's, you know, it's a friendly movie as far as its rating. You can get a lot out of it, even to this day. You know, how far into it, contextually, you want to read into it. It's up to you. You can enjoy it for just what it is. It's kind of goofy a little bit. Right now, mostly, I'm just antsy to watch The Shape of Water. Yeah, I think that's going to be fun. To see what they do with it. I think it, this you know, is a good warm-up for it. Yeah, it certainly is. I think it's a good way to bring in the New Year with the Universal. We get to kind of blab about it, you know, and... I don't know. It's going to be an interesting year to see because there's a lot of reboots and a lot of series coming up this year. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, that's going to be exciting. Interesting year. To see how we're going to deal with covering all of it. Holy shit. But, it's, you know, it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, so this is our first episode of the new year. First 52nd. episode of the new year. We would love to tell you what we're doing next week so you can get prepared. Yeah, but we don't know yet. So we're going to figure that out here in just a couple minutes. If you want to keep listening to us, Obviously, you're already listening to us somehow. Yeah. So Keep most, doing what li you're doing. most likely, <laughs> you can work. just hit the subscribe button. 
please. However, you can always go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com, stream us down at the bottom of the page, or we have links to where we're available up at the top. Yeah. Follow us on Facebook, Fried Squirms, at Fried Squirms Podcast on the Instagram, yeah. at Fried Squirms on the Twitter. We're on the Twitters. Squirmcast at gmail.com to us email up. us. Hit us up. You can also contact us through the website. Yeah, which is really cool. Form. We like to hear from you. Give us some recommendations. Let us know how we're doing. We are trying to do more and more with the website. I put up a hour and a half breakdown of The Last Jedi. There's going to be a year in review from me on all the genre that I've went through this year. Yeah. The sci-fi. Well, not so much sci-fi this year. Mostly comic book shit this year, to this be honest. That's going to be fun, man. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about, and, and it's fresh. Get, I've got to get working on that. Because so I've just been getting stoned and being lazy. That's so. what we do. <laughs> I have yeah. a lot that I want to talk about, though. Maybe some other things. We have some more crossovers definitely oh, planned yeah. in the future. I think that's a good point. We don't know when on that for sure yet, right. but that's going to be fun. Oh, yeah, man. We've got a lot of cool things we're thinking about. This is a new year. We're going to try to go into it with a lot of energy and just continue expanding this. Yeah, why not? And we just want to say thank you because we actually ended up with... Oh, I'd say we ended up this past month with like 250 more listens than I was actually expecting. You know, we, you we can generally follow well, a trend really cool. and we know what happens. Like, cause there was a week that we didn't even get an episode out. Yeah. We still got some bumps, which is cool. So thank you very much for all your support. Yeah. We love you guys. And we like to show the support back. And I mean, if you guys want to make it your new year's resolution to recommend us to as many people as you possibly can. Yeah. Like we think that's a fantastic resolution and that you should probably keep it. You know, that's something we talked about in one of our interviews that you can listen to is <laughs> grassroots. You know, we're, we're just supported by your listens and we love that. But that's it. We love you. Happy new year. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms. Out. out.